good morning and uh, welcome to Beth Brummel, who's the Chief Operating Officer at Wolf Trap. And for another uh, edition of Navigating in a Virtual World, how people and organizations have been adapting to the changes necessary during the pandemic. So Beth, thank you for talking today. Um, and I uh, thought maybe we'd begin by um, just talking about when the pandemic hit, what was your first thought? Did you think it was gonna last for a while? You know, what, what was going on in your head and, and, and those of your colleagues? Well, thanks, Liz, it's good to be here. Um, yeah, so we go back to mid-March, which seems like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? And yes, we were absolutely in the beginning part of preparing for uh, our summer season for for everyone's information, Wolf Trap Foundation for the Performing Arts presents uh, concerts in a couple of different places, but we're primarily known for our summer festival at the Feline Center at Wolf Trap National Park. And uh, at the time we were actually in the middle of our Barnes season, the Barnes at Wolf Trap, which is a smaller venue, about 300 people. And we were in the middle of that season and doing very well. And you know, early March came along and it became pretty clear. I just remember the, the dates specifically, it was like March 8th, 9th, we all thought, yeah, it's time to start thinking about a work from home environment. And I was asked to put together a staff task force on how to um, pivot to you know, the, the word of the, the, I guess it's not the word of 2020, but it is a word that everybody talks about how to move the office from a, a you know, work in the office situation to a work from home situation. And so we put together a pretty um, diverse group of, of staff across departments. We had a couple of meetings that week and by the 13th of March, that was our last day in the office and we were work from home from, from that wow. point forward. So it was sort of a few days. To answer your question about, you know, how did we all feel? How did we, um, what did we think was gonna happen? Um, I think that we, like many others, thought, well, we'll work from home for a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months. Maybe we'll start our summer season in the middle of the summer. Maybe we'll, we'll be home for a little while. And then instead of typically starting at the end of May, maybe we'll start in July. And what was happening on the other side of the the table, if you will, because we are, we're a presenting organization. So we, we bring in performing artists of all genre to, to uh, perform on our stages. And what was happening on the other side was that artists were beginning to say, oh, you know, my, my show that, that's scheduled for May, could we move that to September? Or could we move that to August? And so our programming team was doing a significant amount of conversation with artists and agents and just shifting things, just moving things. So we were thinking, oh, we'll just We'll just move a lot of things to later in the summer. We'll still have maybe half of a season and we'll move on. Like it'll, it'll be fine. Um, that obviously didn't, didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you were talking about the work from home, uh, so this was like the eighth or ninth and by the 13th, you were all working at home. Did you have to, do, you know, was, <laughs> was there, uh, it sounds like maybe it happened pr pretty seamlessly or was there, <laughs> Or was it more, I mean, there's the technical issues, you know, and all yes. of us having to learn how to yes. Zoom, but then there's yes. also the psychological issues. Yes. Right. Yes. And I'm and just curious what that was like for your organization. Sure. And, you know, we at the time had about a hundred people on our staff um, in a variety of different departments. We have a very large 
early childhood education team. They were working with school systems as they we deliver educate professional development services primarily to preschools and uh, Head Start programs and that sort of thing. And they were all thinking about what are what are we going to be doing, right? How are we going mm. to to um, reach young children with early childhood arts education? Uh, so they were very much in touch with school districts and figuring out how to do this work remotely. There was a very steep learning curve, not just on Zoom, but on other platforms where we were beginning to think about, okay, well, we might do a professional development service in person typically, but now we're going to change to an online platform and we're going to do a webinar on blue jeans. Okay, well, nobody knows how to work blue <laughs> jeans. How are we going to make that happen? Our education team in particular, I think, was um, very adept at, at moving forward quickly. And because um, the, the schools and the, the daycare centers and the places where we work were very eager to continue that engagement, um, it actually worked quite well. In fact, it's something that we will continue in the, in the future when we do go back to sort of whatever normal looks like. I know we will continue to provide um, some sort of online or, or digital virtual service to to classrooms. Um, and so that's just one of those things where, you know, education kind of moved our, our programming team. Again, they were working on the artist side. It was not a seamless move to, <laughs> to work from home. We have a VPN, our, our staff, you know, if you are taking it, you know, you're, you have to be home to wait for a repairman or something like that, people could work from home. Our IT team was really spectacular in, in preparing for how to do this. That task force group that I mentioned, mm -hmm. we were really um, thinking about all those operational things. How, how are we manning the phones? What's happening with our email? You know, the email stuff was pretty easy. We have a lot of patron services and customer service uh, front-facing activity that happens over email. So that was easy to do but just making sure everybody could get online. Did we have a hundred licenses to get people, you know, on, oh, wow. online, you know, those kinds of things were our, were our, um, did everybody have a laptop? A lot of people um, were VPNing in from a home computer and over, over the course of time, over the couple of months into the spring and early summer, our IT team made sure everybody was set up with a laptop, but it did take some time. Um, right. So, wow. you, and there was a fair, you know, we have a very, um, I would say we, we work hard and we play hard at Wolf Trap. So there's a sense of, of purpose and mission and fun. I would also say there's a strong collaborative um, culture in our organization. And so we did, I remember the leadership team in particular talking about how we had to give ourselves breaks every now and then. And I don't mean breaks mm -hmm. from screen time. I mean, you know, if somebody was missing a, a meeting or they were having trouble logging on or they they had some kid issue at home like you, you just had to say that's okay like we'll 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 catch you up later you do what you need to do that sort of work life balance had to sort of happen as we were you know yeah as we were doing it yeah <laughs> and so we had to to kind of come to it in a little bit of a place of uh almost forgiveness it's sort of like yeah we there's somebody who can't be on this call right now for some other reason or they seem to, you know, have a dog barking in the back of their, uh, well, you know, that's, that's where we are. So like, we just have to roll with it. <laughs> there's a baby crying, there's a dog barking, there's a snowplow outside my, you know, <laughs> window, and we just have to kind of go with it. So 
Do you think that the, I thought that was an interesting choice of word, the whole forgiveness, you know, mm. and the work-life balance. Has that, do you think there's been a shift in your culture mm. because of the, you know, what's happened? I mean, do you, and, and yeah. if there is a shift, is it a good shift? Um, I do. I think we've always had a very team oriented culture and, and our group that, that is committed to, again, to our mission, to arts, to education, to presenting world-class opera programs. You know, we very much began to think about, um, gosh, if we have to miss this whole summer, you know, then it, then it became, I should back up a little bit when yeah. we realized that artists were beginning to say, actually, I'm not going to tour. Uh, could we get, could we reschedule my show for 2021? Those kinds of things. We had, um, we had a lot of tickets already sold. We typically go on sale with summer tickets in the fall. So we had, had done a significant number of ticket sales representing a significant amount of income to us. And the, the summer season is sort of our economic engine for the organization. There are, you know, we, we do have a significant amount of philanthropic support as well and other sources of earned revenue, but um, the Feline Center tickets are really critical to our, to our financial health. And, you know, I think from a culture perspective, there was just a, in some ways, helping our public understand what was going on sort of united all of us. And we began to say, all right, well, let's get this show rescheduled or this show canceled or this show refunded and working with partners. Um, you know, you had mentioned early on about the marketing that, that we do. Yeah. And in March, we were just getting started. In the, in the end, we were super lucky that we had not actually put out a lot of dollars for our marketing programs at that point. We were revving up, all our advertisers were, were scheduling us in, we were getting ready to write those checks and, right. and, and thankfully we didn't have to do that. So unlike some of our peers, when I think about the more classical performing arts organizations, for example, uh, orchestra, symphony, that sort of thing, they were right in the middle of their season, you know, the wow. September to June timeframe where you, you'd already put out all the marketing money, you'd already put out, you'd, you'd pay production people, you had sets built, you, you had put all of these things together and they really had to just stop. And I think the impact there was even more severe than, than what we felt in the festival industry because some of the summer festivals, if you think about Ravinia or some of our peers, the Hollywood Bowl, Ravinia, mm -hmm. Tanglewood, we had a minute to, a weird minute, but we had a minute to sort of think, okay, wait, what, what can we do this summer? Um, what would be viable? And, and what do we just have to let go of completely? Yeah. Wow. That's so many decisions. So, so yeah. quickly. So you, so were you, did you have to deploy the dollars that you were going to spend on promoting shows to communicating what was happening or how <laughs> did you, you know, yeah. I'm just kind of curious how, yeah. You know, you you pretty much had to. I mean, and I'm trying to remember. Um, were you able to do any programming, or um, we did some programming did some, this summer? Yeah, yeah we did. Yeah. It was, and I'll talk about that. Um, in terms of the dollars for for promotion, you know, it turned out that all of our communications with our patrons were primarily over email and electronic. You know, we we did an announcement at one point. Uh, you know, we aren't going to have a summer season, but but by that point, the governor of Virginia, where our venue is located, had already put in a number of restrictions 
where the public was like, well, of, of course, like we understand right, why right, you're not right, doing right. this. So we didn't get a lot of questions about what you're not having a season. Why? You know, everybody understood what was going on because of the external environment and external forces. So for us, it became a, a practical matter of making sure that we could communicate with ticket holders. We could give them the opportunity to either donate their ticket back to us, which the value of the ticket, which many people ended up doing for shows wow. that were scheduled. We had an enormous number of people. I want to say this might not be the exact number, but something close to 65, 70% of people keeping their tickets for shows that were rescheduled into the next year. So we, wow. we, we could retain those dollars on our books, which was also helpful. We had an amazing um, response to, uh, to this from our advertising partners. When we did pivot to um, present some uh, artistic work in the park, and, and I can talk about what that was, it was not really mm -hmm. publicly attended, but we ended up uh, bringing in musicians and doing what we called Wolf Trap Sessions. We filmed them and then we put it out on our social media channels and on our YouTube and website channels. Um, our media partners said, you know, we'll just do a PSA for you. We'll just make sure that people wow. know that this is happening. And a number, I think almost all of the folks that we worked with, including some of the major local stations, television, uh, radio, were, were happy to, to help promote that. We also created, uh, like many organizations, created sort of an emergency um, fund called the Music right. Moves Us Fund. And that was to help drive philanthropic support, which was very successful and our partners helped put the word out about that. So we had a combination of people asking for refunds, donating to Music Moves Us, keeping their tickets, donating the value of their tickets, making additional contributions to get us through this, this really difficult period. Um, and so that was, I think, when the staff also could see the kind of relationship the organization has in the community, there was a real sense of, of pride, even though it was so sad, what we were doing was so difficult and, and so challenging to, um, you know, we're about to celebrate, 2021 will be our 50th performance season wow. at the Feline Center. And there really has never been a time when there hasn't been a concert season. So to be the, the group of people who had to be a part of not having a summer season was just very depressing in a lot of yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah. And, and yet you knew exactly why and nobody, you know, it, it was yeah. just what we had to do. What's, and what this also speaks to is how, you know, you, Wolf Trap's a community treasure. It's a beloved mm -hmm. uh, organization. And so yeah. when, you have built that trust and those relationships throughout your community and you, you know, been a, a decent partner, right? A really good, yes. yes. then when the chips are down, you know, that's when you really see what, what you mean to. Well, uh, and you are exactly right. I mean, both with our, our donor community, uh, donors of all levels, I don't just mean our, our significant major principal gift donors, but, our corporate sponsors kept dollars with us, even though they knew they weren't gonna get the kind of visibility and advertising and support that they might typically get in the summer. Um, they, they said, that's fine, just keep, keep it. We'll figure it out next year, don't mm -hmm. worry about it. Our, our public was so generous and supportive of, of the, the activities that we were presenting. 
Um, and I should mention, there is one really bright spot of the summer that we did activate on, which was our Wolf Trap Opera program, which is not a, something that a lot of people know about, but we do have a, a very um, elite professional development program for opera singers. And we, it's a young artist program, and we were able to bring those uh, singers and musicians together. They actually did quarantine together for two weeks. Wow. Um, and then we went through a period of time when they could learn, perform. We provide all sorts of vocal training, supports to them, um, mentorships with, with really amazing uh, Wolf Trap Opera alumni, including people like Denise Graves and others wow. who participated, you know, sometimes virtually and sometimes even in person. Because we had the outdoor spaces at Wolf Trap National Park, we were able to allow these singers to come together because I'm sure everyone knows singing is one of the most dangerous things you can do in a coronavirus. Right. But right. if you're standing 20 feet apart in an outdoor venue and you're testing every day and you're literally this group was a pod for a number of weeks in the summer, and I tell you, when those singers first came to Wolf Trap, and these are folks who are in programs at the Met and at Curtis, and they come out of Juilliard, and, and when they first sang, there were tears. People were so emotional because they had not sung, they had not used their instrument in months. And then they were able to come and do this. And it was really transformative for them, I think, to be able to be a part of it. We will continue that kind of program this summer as well mm -hmm. in a very similar kind of way. And we're hoping to be able to provide some public performance as well this summer. Yeah, and that's what, that was gonna be my next question was, so what's next? Yeah. Uh, you know, what, what does, you know, the summer look like at, at, as best you can tell? Right. At, at, this, at, at this recording, <laughs> we, we won't yes. hold you to it. No, and, and at this recording, I will say, um, you know, if we were, this recording today is very difficult to talk about the summer because the gathering restrictions have been um, moved down even further in the state right. of Virginia. And so we we are not in that phase three where, where we could, um, under, under phase three guidelines, you can have a thousand people gather in, in the state of Virginia. So we have been keeping an eye on that and, and I really, I don't have any, any news to share. We have, yeah. we, don't, <laughs> you know, we are in the process of thinking about what, what would a thousand people at the Feline Center look like? Um, could we even do it? Are, back to the original question that we talked about, are, mm -hmm. are the artists available? Are there going to be artists who are touring? These are all questions we don't have answers to at this point. Um, mm -hmm. So we're very, very hopeful. It is our, our 50th anniversary season we very much want to do something um and we we are really hopeful you know with the vaccine now here um we we know we have a difficult winter to to get through we have canceled our spring barns season um mm -hmm. it's such a small venue and um yeah. finding the, the we felt like if we're going to put our energy in anything, we should we should really think about what that summer potential can look like. So we are in a period right now very much of constricting, um, constraining. Um, we've had to make some really really difficult decisions around staffing, furloughing, laying some people off. It's it's been challenging, very yeah. challenging for that, and nothing that we ever would have wanted to. Um, experience ever. Right. right. I was going to say, so 
you know, I have uh, basically three more questions. One is, what is, what was the hardest thing about the adjusting to this pandemic? And what was the best thing or most surprising thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so think about that. Yeah. Yeah. I think the hardest we talked about a little bit, which is that the macro issue of not presenting after, after 49 years of presenting, you know, at a place that is beloved, that is a Washington institution that is um, well regarded and brings so much joy to the public. And we know that, uh, but, but our business is bringing people together, thousands of people together for right. live entertainment. And that's just not possible right now. It's painful. Obviously, the, the staffing challenges, the, the difficulties of making tough choices about programs and activity um, over these past number of months has also you know, weighed on all of us for sure. Yeah. I would say on the bright spot, um, the resiliency of, of our team, of our organization is so um, humbling and, and the, the support from our community is so humbling. Again, we knew we had a lot of support. We have generous patrons and ticket buyers and donors and friends, um, but really folks stepping up. We have had more emails, cards, people will say to us, well, how are you guys doing? You know, my business is going crazy, you know, going out the window, but how are you doing? And, and just to know that there are people there who care about mm -hmm. this place and us, and we're so committed to, um, to returning, to figuring out how to do that. I, I don't know what it will look like, but <laughs> we are motivated to, to do that. And so there is this sense of, of hope um, I think for what what the next uh, number of months and certainly year will bring. What advice would you give to others mm. based on what you've experienced, what you've learned, maybe what you know now that you wish you'd known then, or yeah. you know, as other people are are dealing with you know the same thing, whether it, yeah. it be you know it's a different business model. But I'm just it curious is. what yeah. what you would tell other people. I think, you know, this is one of those leadership 101 kinds of answers, I, I fear, but this notion of communication is really important. You know this as a communications professional. Yes. Um, helping our staff, our community understand what is going on, what we're thinking about, and continuing to acknowledge their role in what is, is happening. You know, we very specifically created a series of video messages from our CEO to our donor community, to our public. We were very, we have, our board of directors has been meeting in emergency meetings on a more regular, you know, more, we've had more board meetings this year than typically our executive committee and finance committee have been really active. And we've just been trying to communicate as much as we possibly can and to be really straightforward, you know, when we've had to make tough decisions, we've, we've really tied it to what work can be done, what is possible, and uh, what is realistic given mm -hmm. the situation. Um, you know, we hope we never have to be in a pandemic again, but this is, um, I, it's just reinforced for me this notion of you have to be in touch with people. You have to touch base with them. You have to say, hey, if you need a minute, take a minute. 
um, and that's okay. Yeah. yeah, and it 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 it's something I've heard from a lot of people, and and also the precision in your communication. Yes. You know, yeah, yes. Uh, yes. is 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 so important. Yeah. Well, this has been a really delightful conversation, and um, you know, you guys have really. Um, seem to have weathered the storm as well as anybody could given given the challenges and um and i think the the fact that you realize how much you do mean in the community mm. uh is is important and and even though there's still many struggles ahead yeah um and you're i'm, I'm sure a different organization um than yeah. you were when this started we are and at the same time liz I, I would say that our core has not changed you know we right. are we are about arts we are about arts education we are about supporting um all different kinds of music and we are about presenting arts to the community and we will figure out a way to do that for sure um that i know yeah well thank you for your time and uh for thank this, you so uh, much stim it's been a pleasure it's been a great pleasure